0: All right, well, welcome. Been a good Sunday thus far. So this morning, I wanna talk about identity. Now, identity is something that we speak to a lot here at Reliance. We believe the Lord has given us a call and a commission to speak regarding identity. Because the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we have chosen to die to ourselves and live in Christ. And that's more than just some nice theological statement, right, That is more than just some head knowledge of a belief. We have chosen to die to ourselves, our wills, our rights, our motives, our attitudes, and then we take up the life of Christ. This is why we do baptism. It's a public declaration to say, I'm going under my old life gone, buried, and when it come out, bam, new life. This is why we also take communion. We remember first Jesus' sacrifice, his death. We celebrate that. We thank him for it. But then we also reaffirm when we drink of that juice and we take of that bread. We reaffirm once again our own death, burial, and new life found in Christ and Christ alone. It's rooted and established in that reality. In Galatians 2.20, it's a familiar verse. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, are there any partial crucifixions? Do you think the Romans were like, eh, just kidding, get that guy down? No, crucifixions, like, crucifixions were meant to kill. So I have been crucified, totally dead. I am totally dead, and now I am found with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, meaning there was an old, and now there's a now, now there's a new, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave herself for me. Colossians 3 verse 3 says this love this for you died and your life is now 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 hidden in Christ when I was thinking about this message and preparing this and Colossians 3 3 came I was the Lord gave me a picture and I'll talk a little bit about that later but that's kind of the way he speaks to me it's the Lord gave me a picture of like a seed being planted and and I was the seed and the soil that envelops that seed and 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 the seed that requires the nutrients and the soil and and sitting in that place to actually sprout and produce fruit. My life has been enveloped by Christ, the soil of Christ, right? And it was just a picture. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for that moment. My life is now hidden, enveloped by Christ, his life, his ways, his desires. Again, meaning that our identity is rooted, founded, established, firm in Christ, At the same time as that reality, we also understand that there is very real warfare contending for our identity. It is very real. There are spiritual principalities. Uh, The scriptures also say for we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers, against the principalities of this dark world. So there are things contending for your identity. And again, this is not just some message for the out there identity, Right, we can see that we can flip on the news and be like, "Wow, that you know, uh, teens are under attack. Wow, they're under attack, or they're under attack." But the reality is, the bride of Christ, you and I, are under attack as well. You see, if Satan went after Jesus's identity when tempting him in the desert after 40 days of fasting by going after his identity, do you think his strategy is any different for us? No. In Luke chapter four, what we find is Jesus, having just fasted for 40 days, he's tired, he's famished, he's hungry. Satan comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, if you really are the son of God, testing his identity, if you really are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread, and that's when Jesus says, well, hey, guess what, buddy? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, okay, test one, and then Satan takes him up to the highest part of the temple, and he says, hey, Jesus, cast yourself down from here, because it says in Scripture, guess what? The devil knows Scripture, too. Satan says, hey, cast yourself down from here because it says so on and so forth that the angels will protect you basically angels will catch you and he responds back in kind you know with scripture rightly applied but he went after Jesus identity if you really are the son of God if you are the son of God and so his tactics and he's not a very creative enemy he just recreates what he's already done And unfortunately, we fall for it. And so his tactics aren't all that different nowadays. But just last week during worship, the enemy tried to sow a seed of insecurity into my identity as a lover and worshiper of Jesus. So hear me out on this, 11, a, 11 a.m. service, this service last week, I got the chance to lead with, with the crew, and, and I'm leading a song called On the Altar, now On the Altar has kind of like been my jam, it's been, it's been like the anthem of my heart for a couple months now, it just really stirs me, stirs just affection for Jesus, and I, I just get to have like this, I, I really feel it takes me into a place of this relationship with Jesus, that as I'm pouring out praise to him, he's just pouring out, lo- I mean, it's just like this, wa- endless waterfall, it's awesome, it's the best way I can describe it. But all that to say is I'm there's a line in this song that says, if you're searching for a heart as your reward, then I am yours. And we say it several times. And and man, that that just captured me because I'm like, Jesus, I want, I want you to receive the reward of your suffering, which is my heart. I want you to receive your inheritance. That's my heart. And so I was grabbed by this, and I I kind of began jumping, and I I think I got off the mic because I don't want to blast your ears, you know, and I'm, I'm yelling like, Jesus, I am yours, Jesus, I am yours, right? Well, even in the midst of that, the enemy tried to sow a seed of insecurity, and this is what it looked like. My flesh rose up for a brief moment, and it says, Ryan, do you realize how foolish you look? Yeah. Because I, I'm jumping with a guitar, and I'm not all that great at dancing. Let's <laughs> be honest with you. I can play a guitar, but I can't dance with, I got two right feet, whatever it is. Two left feet, however that expression goes. It's two left feet, right, left, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm right-footed, so it'd be left feet. Two left feet. <laughs> anyway, I, I know I'm looking foolish. In the eyes of man, I look foolish. And, and, and Satan tried to sow that seed of insecurity. My flesh rose up in me. But God, but God, because the Spirit of God rose up within me. This is all happening, tr- true, in real life. This is all happening in my heart. The Spirit of, of God rose up within me. And I was able to take that that thought and subdue it, and not just subdue it, but make it captive and obedient to Jesus. Like I had this foot stomping, snake stomping, victory claiming moment with Jesus to say that is a lie. And and, and because of Scripture, what we find in Second Samuel chapter six, David, as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem, King David is dancing wildly like a wild man. And what he says at the end of Second Samuel six he says i will become even more undignified than this and i will be humiliated in my own eyes and so i told that thought i said i will become even more undignified than this because i know who jesus is i know who my jesus is and he's good and he's beautiful and he's worthy and he's extravagant and he's merciful and he's kind and he's faithful and i know who i am in him i am a worshiper and a lover of jesus so i told that thought where it can go I made it obedient. It's like I took an armbar to that thought in the mighty name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's what it felt like. And I was, then I went on yelling some more, right? Because Jesus is worth it. The enemy hates Christ in you. He flat out hates Christ in you. And so he will do anything he can to sow weeds into your garden. And if you let him, those weeds will take root to choke out the good fruit, to choke out the truth. And here's, there's a kingdom principle, and we talk about this um, quite often. It's also a principle in the natural, but seeds always produce something. Seeds produce in kind, meaning that if uh, if you sow an apple seed, you get a what? An apple tree, right? I mean, we know that. Same thing as a, as a spiritual connotation. If you sow seeds of doubt, insecurity, and fear, you'll reap what—more doubt, insecurity, and fear. Allow those seeds in your garden, and you'll reap that harvest. Seeds of doubt that God is actually a loving, kind, and generous Father will sow doubt, like harvest that God is actually a good Father. That how can God actually be that loving and kind? Because you 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 sowed the doubt. And it reaped doubt that he's actually that good. This was actually Eve's temptation in Genesis 2 and 3, right? Like the serpent came up to Eve and said, hey, did God really say? It's almost like he's like, you know, God really doesn't love you all that much. Like, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? And she's like, well, I I, I mean, he did, but I guess he doesn't really love me. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't want me to have that. Why doesn't he want me to have that? Right? And so she allowed that seed to be sown. It was, a, it was an identity attack on who God is, which trickled down to an identity attack on who she is in him. Began to doubt who she is in God and his provision and protection and providence in her life. But the best I, uh, offense to identity warfare is to actually plant seeds of truth. You've been given seeds of truth. You know that, right? You've been given seeds of truth. You've actually been given a planter, and his name is the Holy Spirit, who guides you into all truth. Read John 14 through 16, those chapters on who the Holy Spirit is. He will guide you into all truth. You've been given fruit bearing seeds. It is your choice on whether to plant those or not. So, which will you choose to plant? And by the way, side note, little commercial if you need a Bible, I got a Bible here for you, okay? We got more. I got more than two. I'm just saying, I would treasure to give you this treasure. Like, that would be awesome. So if you don't have one, come see me. Let's plant some good fruit together. Let's plant some good seeds. Part of your identity in Christ is that you've been given those fruit-bearing seeds. But you have a choice. What will you sow? As a believer, you have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit within you. This is true of every believer, by the way. There's not just haves and have-nots. You've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be true otherwise. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a believer because the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we've been adopted into God's family, right? And so if you've said yes to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Now, to the measure you walk this out, meaning this, this identity, To measure you walk this out with the Holy Spirit is dependent upon your willingness to surrender and to submit to his leadership. Here is what grieves the heart of God and grieves my heart, and I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the church as a pastor, as a friend, all these good things. Is that we have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, and yet many of us still walk powerless. We have the knowledge that we as believers have the Holy Spirit, but we walk powerless. Powerless because we have not chosen to sow those seeds into the heart that produces a harvest of righteousness that produces our feet taking action that I truly am a son of God that I am loved and treasured how what a travesty that we would walk powerless though we have the holy spirit inside of us so that being said and then I'll springboard into the identity that I want to talk about this morning As freely as God has given you identity, you must choose to walk it out. You have a part in this. So this morning I I, want to talk about an identity that doesn't normally get a whole lot of airtime in churches or Bible studies and conversations. And and to the degree that I've been part of that and not giving it the proper airtime, I repent. Because this this is the identity, and I'll get to why. But it just doesn't get airtime. And part of it is because this identity makes us feel uncomfortable. We get a little squirmish, particularly men, no offense men, but it makes us squirm a bit, right? It's, it's uncomfortable because particularly in our Western American perspective, this doesn't always resonate because we haven't grown up with this kind of mindset. And here it is, you and I are the bride of Christ. We just sang about it, but you and I are the bride of Christ. A lot of time, we, we actually act more like the damsel in distress right flailing around oh jesus come save us and jesus is like i already did that on the cross stop acting like the damsel in distress i get it there are pits and we need to cry out many time but by the lord's grace and what he already paid for on the cross we're not the damsel in distress anymore we are the bride of christ we are the bride of christ so what, what does this mean and why is this important well, it's important because Revelation tells us that the primary identity marker of the church when Jesus comes back is that he's coming back for his bride. Her identity is the bride of Christ. Revelation 19:6 through 9 says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. Hmm, we just sang that. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Hallelujah. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the the lamb you have been invited will you take him up on that offer you have been invited blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god skip forward three chapters revelation 22 17 the spirit and the bride say come and let those who hear also say come who is it that the spirit and the bride are asking to come It's none other than Jesus himself. The spirit and the bride of Christ are yelling emphatically, come Jesus. Because the primary identifying marker of the church and the generation that Jesus returned will not be as servants, will not be as the body of Christ, will not be as the royal priesthood, will not even be as children of God. Although those are still true of who we are and will always be true of who we are, the primary identifying marker of the church when Jesus comes back, which I pray is soon and I believe is soon. He said so, but it will be as lovers of Jesus. Now, you can fact check me on that if you'd like, but Revelation 22:17 says uh, the spirit and the servants of God say come. The spirit and the children of God say come. No, the spirit and the bride the spirit and the desperate, love-sick bride of Christ says, Come, Jesus. We long to see you. Oh, just to be in your presence, to touch you, to see you, to sense your nearness, to feel, to feel you. Oh, Jesus, that's who we are. The spirit and the bride say, Come. This demonstrates the love of Jesus and the love for Jesus and the bride that will be expressed in the generation of his return. I pray Jesus comes in my generation. That may be selfish, but I long for my bridegroom. I mean, I would rather fly, right, than die. I mean, if I have to, I'll I'll, I'll die and go be with Jesus. But if I can fly, I'm pretty cool with that too. When I see that eastern sky split open and I get to behold with these eyes, Jesus coming back, I'll be pretty satisfied with that. So I'm going to pray like he's coming back tomorrow because I'm desperate for him. I love him and he loves me. If you're married or you're engaged, you've probably uttered the words, I can't wait for my wedding day. Oh, it just can't come soon enough. Brie and I were engaged for for nine months. That's a long engagement. Maybe some of you were able to do it longer, but for her and I, I'm like, I can't wait for this day to come. Good Lord, can you skip a few days and weeks, you know? Like, I couldn't wait. I wanted to be married. We knew we were getting married. This is the type of language that the Spirit is initiating in the generation, in the hearts of that generation when Jesus returns. Oh, how I long for the day of his return. I can't wait for that wedding day, Jesus. Mike Bickle, he's, uh, he leads IHOP in Kansas City, which is not International House of Pancakes, by the way. It's International House of Prayer. Um, but in KC, and it's a 24-7 prayer movement. And so they they do 24-7 prayer around the clock. They have different teams that take different shifts and different intercessors that kind of lead during that time and, and those who guide and lead the prayer time. It's awesome. And he's been stewarding, though, this, this forerunner-type message of the bridegroom for about 25 years. He's, he's been like a mouthpiece for it. Now, it's fallen on deaf ears, I think, probably for the first 15 years or so. Uh, 15, 20 years, but for the last five to six, I really believe that the church is beginning to wake up to this identity call of who Christ is initiating as as the bride of Christ. And I love how he says this. He says this, the bridegroom message is focused on Jesus's emotions for us, his beauty, his commitments to us, to share his heart, to share his heart. Can you imagine that? To share his home, his secrets, beauty, And our response of wholehearted love, obedience that moves him, it begins with experiencing Jesus' affections and his desire for us. Have you ever, have you ever just taken time, like taken more than just a fleeting moment, but taken time and said, Jesus, can you but give me a glimpse of your emotions and affections for me? The scriptures tell us that he has more thoughts for you than 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 the grains of sand on the seashore. He really does. Now, how he does that, I don't know, but he's, <laughs> he's God, and he's got an eternal capacity for all of it. But he's got more thoughts for you than the grains of sand on the seashore. In essence, we focus on Christ's initiation first. He's the one who loved us first. He's the one who gave his life for ours the bridegroom's life for the bride. He's the one who so desires to share his heart with us. It begins, though, with experiencing Jesus' affections and his desires for us. As with any identity given by God, though, we, we have to focus on the one giving the identity. So when we look to God as Father, and we understand that we're children of God, we look to who he is first, his character, his attributes. He's loving, he's kind, he's extravagant. And generosity—that's the—that's the father that I have, and therefore I don't have to try to like run around saying like, "How do I be a child of this God?" How do I? I'm like, "Oh, that's who He is." So, who He is to me is that He's loving, kind, generous, faithful, giving—all I mean, these things, right? Like, I understand I don't have to strive to be a child of God. I am because He's accepted me, adopted me into His family, all on His accord. So, same thing is true with the with the bridegroom message. We focus on the bridegroom first. We gaze upon our bridegroom. We begin to understand his message to his bride as a call to intimacy. Now, men, this is probably where the American perspective gets a little bit jaded, right? Because we're like, intimacy with Jesus? Weird. What is that? It's not a call to be sensual. It's a call, though, to know his heart, to know his desires. What is God passionate for? And he he wants to burn those on your heart. So if this language, I'm sorry this language hasn't been spoken enough in church because we've kind of tucked it away. Well, that's uncomfortable. But God wants to give you his secrets. Like he wants to tell you things that are upon his heart. Not just on Sunday mornings. On Monday mornings when you wake up and you experience your coworker who you're just like, I would rather slap in the face. The Lord wants to say, I want to download my heart right now for you. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) And for your spouse. Or for your kids, when you want to bite their heads off, I want to download my heart for you, Ryan. (laughs) Jesus, I need that right now, right? I love how Mike Bickle, he illustrates this point again. I'm just going to read this, but he says, as sons of God, we are positioned to experience God's throne as heirs of his power and authority. So as children inherit, right, and biblically speaking, at least uh, their understanding was that the son, the firstborn son inherited, right, the, the inheritance from the father, so, and I'll, get, I'll tie that in here in a minute. But as sons of God, we are positioned to experience God's throne as heirs of his power and authority. As Jesus' bride, we are positioned to experience God's heart, his emotions, his affections, and so on. Just as women are the sons of God, right, so men are the bride of Christ. Both describe our unique position of privilege before God. Rather than pointing to something that is intrinsically male or female, most Christian women do not struggle with the idea of being sons of God because they do not see it as a call to be less feminine, right? Because you know that you've been adopted in, and you also have an inheritance from the Father. It flows both ways. It's not intrinsically male nor female. However, m- men often struggle with being the bride of Christ because they wrongly conclude that it's a call to be less masculine. Well, I'm kind of emasculated by just being called the bride of Christ, right? I just feel it. I'm like, well, take it up with Jesus because that's what he calls you, Right? I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm being serious. You take it up with the Holy Spirit because that's who he's called you. It doesn't, it's not a call to be less masculine. In fact, it probably raises the bar. King David, you need an illustration? King David, he was a man that they said, you know, Saul, which was the previous king, killed his thousands, but David killed his 10,000s. Like he was a mighty warrior, cut off Goliath's, head, I mean, stoned Goliath and then cut his head off like the dude was just, I mean, brutal, Right. Mighty warrior king, and yet we would find him in the songs being undone by the beauty of God. Yes. Psalm 24, 27.4, one thing I ask God, one thing that, that I desire, that I may dwell in your house forever to gaze upon your beauty. This mighty warrior king said, one thing I ask is to gaze upon your beauty. He was undone at the beauty of God. A thousand years before Jesus would ever enter the scene, at least in human flesh, David caught a glimpse of what it meant to be a lover of God. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine if David were standing here today and saying, and now you have Jesus, I, I but only saw a glimpse of what that reality would even look like. I mean, maybe some sort of download. He's like, you have the man with fire in his eyes? You, what? Oh, that I would be undone by him. Like he would probably say, I envy you. Oh, that we would be undone as men as the bride of Christ longing for her bridegroom. So what do we do with this message? What do we do with this message is that you and I are the bride of Christ, that Jesus is the bridegroom. Well, we we prepare ourselves as the bride. That's what the scripture says. Revelation 19 says that. There is preparation on our part. Does a bride sit idly on her hands before her wedding day? Well, definitely not in America. Got some bridezillas up in the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, they get after it. Because they long, they long for the day. They long for the, the wedding day. They get after it. Will we get after it? We prepare ourselves. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. I read it earlier, but I'll read it again. Let us re- rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. His bride has made herself ready. You know why the bride prepares herself? So on the day of the wedding, she doesn't have to think about all the fine details that still have to be done. She simply gets to lock eyes with her bridegroom and be like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Bridegroom, a bride doesn't get wrapped up in saying, like, wow, this runner just got wrinkled. Man, and the bridegroom's coming down. Man, the candle went out. Gosh dang it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I have usually, well, I have several advices for, um, for those getting married, for those engaged in premarital counseling. But one of them is, man, on your wedding day, just capture the moment of what it looks like to see your bride coming down that aisle. Bride, capture the moment, what it's like to be, you know, locked arms with your, with your dad, or whoever's bringing down the aisle, and then to be handed over to your bridegroom. Like, remember that moment. I mean, and I'm I'm a pastor, and so, of course, I've done some of these weddings, and you'll just see like these men just blubbering mess. I love it, I think it's awesome. Because they're just so captured up by the moment with their bride. We prepare so, in that moment, when he comes, we don't miss it by hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. We're like, oh, there he is. Do you see him? Yes, do you see him? He's coming. And they're like, I kind of see something. You're like, I've been waiting for this day a long time. We prepare ourselves, but we do it in relationship with him. Let me explain. You know, as Western thinkers, we've been kind of, we've adopted a Greek way of thinking. And what that means is that we're very knowledge-based, right? And so a lot of times when we think of preparation, we think in terms of preparing for a test. So what do I need to know? like what do I so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll find ourselves in more bible studies, more devotionals, more readings, more authors, more speakers, more podcasts. And by the way, those are all great things. I'm not neglecting any of those, but I'm saying they're wrongly placed when 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 love is not established first. And so let me let me share this. Your marriage with Jesus isn't a test based in knowledge. It's a relationship based in love. I mean that's that's how our marriage has lasted 19 years and will continue to last and continue to endure based on love, not simply head knowledge. Therefore, you prepare yourself by spending time with Jesus in prayer, in that secret place of intimacy where you get to know his heart, and he knows yours. It's a preparation of the heart. Lord, prepare my heart for marriage. I remember when I was what, 21, getting ready to be married, I was like, uh, there's several times I cried out, Lord, I need help because I don't know how to do this. And he's like, well, you've never done it, so let me teach you along the way, right? But it was, a, it was a genuine cry to say, Lord, prepare my heart for marriage. In the same way, I cry out to Christ, who by the power of the Holy Spirit hears me, intercedes, and then downloads his heart back to me so I can walk as the bride of Christ. Wow, what a really cool relationship we have. Now, in marriage, if I only did good works of service for my wife, yet never actually spent time with her, I can guarantee that Brie would say, you need, you need to sit your rear end down because we need to talk, right? Because, Ryan, stop running around for me. Can, can, you, can you just sit still with me to know my heart, to know my desires, to, so intentionally we can grow in love again? Bree and I actually, we, we do carve out time either in the early morning before the kids are up, a little more rare because uh, that's pretty early, or after the kids are in bed, Right? That's a, it's a little bit more something we do. But we posture ourselves in a way to spend time with one another to talk. And I say, I use the word posture intentionally because it's intentional. We have to posture ourselves in a manner to sit still long enough to again, once again, gaze in each other's eyes and say, what's up with you? Man, what's God been downloading to you? What does this look like? And the desires of her heart, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm captured back up in the story that, that God wrote 24 years ago when we first met and we got married 19 years ago, I get caught back up against in that story of marriage that he designated from long ago for her and I. And That's why we posture ourselves once again. We intentionally do it. We grab coffee. I can still drink coffee at night, praise the Lord. One day it'll catch up and I won't be able to. But right now I can. And so we'll, we'll brew some coffee about 8.30. And a lot of times we'll sit on the couch. We posture ourselves right here with a warm, warm glass of coffee. and are going to say, what's up? We have to. Otherwise, the, the, the master of the day, which is hurry, yes. will get the better of us. And we won't even know each other anymore. Just as we position ourselves in a way that intentionally seeks to grow in love, communication, marriage, so it is with Christ. We need to posture ourselves in a position to actually believe we are going to hear Jesus, speak with Jesus, engage with Jesus, love Jesus, and receive from Jesus. Do you actually believe that God wants to engage with you? If it's, if it's a measure of unbelief, the Lord wants to hear that cry, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. So what does this look like for you? Let me, let me just share a glimpse into what it looks like for me. And then, and then I think the Lord wants to download some things for you. But for me, I know that as I've learned to lean into him, I have to, one, I have to quiet my heart. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. I tend to be a checklist to do kind of guy. And so I got, got a lot of little notes with things to do. And so I'm always looking down, looking to scratch off the next one, get the next thing done, scratch it off, do the next thing, you know, that cycle. And so a lot of times I'm like, you know, Jesus is right here. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I see you. And he's like, do you really see me? And he's like, be still and know that I'm God. And I have to capture his gaze again. As he's capturing mine. And I have to be still and know that he is God. i got to lock eyes with him. I've got to sit on the couch with coffee in my hand and say, God, I see you. <laughs> I want to hear from you as you want to hear from me. And so I've, I've also learned that, that Jesus tends to speak to me in pictures. He tends to speak to me in pictures and with short phrases. He created me so he knows my attention span, right? <laughs> he also knows that I'm a visual person. So he gives me little pictures. It's like little Polaroids in my mind. And he also gives me short phrases, He knows that I can't listen to hour and a half podcasts. I can't because I'm usually like back on minute 10. Like, what did he just say? Dang it. I'm trying to write. You know what I mean? And I lose the whole thing then. He created me. He knows. He knows exactly how I tend to learn and grow best and discern best and listen best. And so um, this happened just just last week, actually, at the 930 service. Carl is in the house. Was preaching. And Carl, is, he's, he's an awesome brother in Christ and consider him like a spiritual father in, in many ways. But he's preaching. I'm sitting over here. And he says something in passing. He, he basically says, the Lord is raising up an army. And in that moment, I'm sitting over there. And the Lord downloaded this picture. And it was an, of an army. But it was an army of what you would naturally think of. Guys and gals in fatigues and, you know, having their rifle over their hands and stoic and all in a line. And actually, what it was was an army of worshipers. Weeping before the Lord. I actually saw the tears glistening off their cheeks before the Lord, like weeping at the beauty of God. Just enjoy, tremendous satisfaction at who Jesus is. And then he downloaded the phrase I'm raising up an army of lovers. That's the way the Lord speaks to me. Now, it may be different for you. Here's here's my encouragement, my exhortation, the challenge lean in, ask Him questions. Ask Jesus questions. He created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Ask him questions. Wait. Journal. Start to connect the dots on how he longs to speak to you. Position yourself in a way to listen, to speak, to be loved by him, to engage with him. But you got to posture yourself and ask the questions. I don't care whether you're like, I don't really know how to pray. Open your mouth and engage with Jesus. It can be two words or 2,000 Ladies, some of you have got a vocabulary of 20,000. Whatever it looks like, right? Like engage with Jesus. Wait, listen. Start to connect the dots and the ways in which he speaks to you. Because you may, with good intentions, want to do bucket loads of good works for Jesus as you prepare for his return. That's also a Western mindset. Lord, what can I do for you? And he's like, I just want you to be with me first. But you may, with good intentions, want to do bucket loads of these good works. But if you don't love him first, Those seeds of good works will only produce lifeless, powerless, and loveless religion. You will not endure. You will not endure. You will settle for for lesser lovers and pleasures. Or worse yet, You'll hear these words in Jesus, from Jesus in Matthew, chapter 7, 22 through 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Lord, did we not do bucket loads of good works for you? Did I not have a a, a title of pastor and do all these ministry things and great exploits for you, Jesus? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That, That grips my heart with sobriety. I never knew you. I'll say, but Jesus, I did all these things. I I never knew you. You didn't know me. Depart from me. But if you love him, you will know him, and he will know you. This is why Jesus says anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. One before the other. You love, you will be obedient. Trust me. You genuinely love Jesus, you'll be like, put me in, coach. I'm signed up for that. Oh, I love you so much. I'll honor you however you want. obedience to Jesus without love produces religion obedience to Jesus born from love produces deeper relationship and deeper desire so prepare yourself as a bride readies herself for her wedding day you do it in relationship you prepare your heart your mind your body you get in a position to say I'm waiting I'm waiting there he is oh do you see him he's off in the distance but I see him he's coming Man, before I close, I want to speak to you for a moment. Ladies, you can engage in this too. But man, I I know this is a, is a strange, sometimes a strange dynamic as the bride of Christ. I get it. I know there are a number of books and ministries and pastors and conferences and the, and the like that will cater to your westernized view of Christianity in order to make you feel comfortable in church. I've been part of those ministries. I repent of, of that. I I a lot of it is saying, if we, if we just get a man in here and get him a cup of coffee and tell him Jesus loves him and send it back on his way, well, then we've done our work. And I repent and I confess from the church that we need to repent of that because that is not honoring to the Lord. So the Lord has, has worked in my own heart. And now however he, he, he works and stewards and gets at the heart of these other ministries and pastors, so be it, I believe he will. He'll talk to them. This is just in the journey where I'm at. But as for me in this house, I will never again settle for comfort, ease, or man's judgment when it comes to inwardly and outwardly expressing my love for Jesus. My bridegroom, he's my bridegroom. I will not nor reliance settle for anything less than to passionately stir up the bride of Christ with a desperate kind of lovesick longing for the Lord. You know, at 42, I'm 42 now. I've been in ministry almost 20 years. 42, I know more about who I am in Christ and what I've, I've been commissioned to do and it's to stir up love in the bride of Christ. Not love for me, not love for reliance, not love for more things that we'll do. Love simply for Jesus and Jesus alone. I have six disciples at home and I long to hear them say, dad, I love you, but I love Jesus more. Oh, that would just be music to my ears ointment for my heart I may be 60 or 80 years old when Jesus comes back I may have to die <laughs> either way I'll be in his arms but I will cry out as a lovesick bride waiting to simply see touch and experience the nearness of her bridegroom once again if this identity makes you feel uncomfortable men I'm sorry not really sorry not sorry Because this is something where you need to take this up with the Holy Spirit and allow him to tenderize your heart so you can cry out with desperation, longing to see his return. It's scriptural, it's biblical, it's the generation that Jesus will come back to, lovers of him and him first and foremost. So whatever God's got to do in your heart, I trust he will, but take it up with the Holy Spirit. This is actually what you need. This is what your family needs. This is what your church needs. This is what Jesus is asking for and longing for in you. You, you want to be a better father? You want to be a better husband? You want to be a better friend, a better son? <laughs> Love Jesus. The byproduct of that is being a better father. It's being a better son. It's, it's all those things. You don't strive to be those in yourself. You'll never measure up. You love Jesus first and foremost, and he downloads his heart to you. You will see your spouse differently. You will see your children differently. You will see your coworkers differently. You will see other men and women differently. Love Jesus first. Love Jesus first. Oh, that we would cry out in unison with the Holy Spirit, come, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that day? He's coming in that generation. I want it to be now. I want it to be now. That might might be selfish. I don't know. I'm praying. I want it to be now, and I want to cry out with unison, Holy Spirit, I agree with you. Come, Jesus, come. So this morning, I want to finish out these last few minutes in prayer. Here are a few prayer points as you, you and I posture ourselves to hear and engage with Jesus. You can take a picture of these because these are actually things that, that every day, I mean, you wake up and you, and you ask Jesus of these things, and I, I feel like, man, you'll radically experience the love of Christ and never be, never be the same. But number one, ask Jesus to help you experience his thoughts, affections, and desires for you. Genuinely ask Jesus, Jesus, can can you even but show me a glimpse of some of those grains of sand on the seashore that your thoughts outnumber? What is that for me? Two, you ask Jesus specifically for what it will look like in your own life to posture yourself to get to know him. He created you. Ask Him what are some of the primary ways that He wants to speak to you. Maybe you look out upon creation, you see a sunset, and you're like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Jesus, you are such an artist. Lean into that. Say, Jesus, do you want to speak something to me too? I know that you called me the apple of your eye, the crown of your creation. What, what do you want to say to me? And it's not selfish to say that. He said that in His word. <laughs> That's who you are. Ask him, he created you. He knows how you listen, hear, and receive best. And then number three, ask him for boldness to walk as a lover of him so that you can cry out in unison with the Holy Spirit, come Jesus, come. She would boldly say, I will become even more undignified than this. I will become humiliated in the eyes of man so that I might catch the eyes of Jesus. That's the marker of the generation he's coming back in. So let's just take a minute. You sit, you sit there with Jesus for a moment. And again, I pray you ponder, you ponder this in your heart the rest of this day and this week in your lifetime. <laughs> but just sit there for a few minutes. See what, see what Jesus might have to say in this moment. Jesus, speak to our heart. Thank you so much that you're a lover. You first loved us. So we, in return, love you. We only know what love is because you first loved us. You made the initiation, the engagement. You would send your one and only son. And Lord, in his second return, that he would find a bride waiting, prepared, eyes wide open, That the bride of Christ would not miss the bridegroom's return. That we would not be so distracted by the things of the world. By the things that come and go. By lesser lovers and pleasures. But oh, that we would be captivated and sold out to the one who knows us and loves us the best. The deepest, the richest, the most vibrant. A love that's eternal and everlasting, relentless in pursuit. Thank you, Jesus. So now continue to teach us what it means to be the bride of Christ. Lord, tenderize all of our hearts so that we could cry out in unison with the Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus, come. Come, bridegroom. We long to see you. Oh, we're so desperate for you, to hear you, to know you, to see you coming, to run to you. So Jesus, thank you for for those in this room. Lord, stir our hearts with more affection than we could ever thought possible. Lord, may we not try to contain it within the four walls of this church or within in the veins of our heart, but, but may we just burst out with love and affection for you. And may the whole world say, I don't know about these Jesus folks, but they sure do love Jesus. They sure do love that guy. May that be the marker of this generation, of this church, of your church worldwide. And now, Jesus, we pray these things, and you're powerful your wonderful, your love-sealing name, the name of Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you back next week.